is a tradition in the Reformed faith to stand as we turn to the Word of God, and we're going to be reading from Amos. I want to invite you, if you'd stand with me as we hear God's Word this morning. We're going to be looking at Amos, and we're going to be looking at a passage where God has made an indictment. He has, uh, and by the way, if you haven't heard the sermons, the first two sermons in this series, you really need to go back and, and hear those. Uh, Logan took a very complex history and made it very simple for us to understand. An understanding that God had called the Jews to be his people and representing his name upon the face of the earth in hopes that when the Messiah would come, all the earth would be redeemed and gathered. And so I, I just invite you to go back and look at those, those uh, teachings and absorb the strength and power of God in his indictments against the other nations of the world. And then finally, his indictment against Israel, his own people. Well, this is what God has against his people in those days of Amos. I invite you now to hear the word of God. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word of the Lord has spoken against you. Against the whole family I brought out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does, a, a, does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city... Do not people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. And therefore... This is what the Sovereign Lord says. An enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds, and plunder your fortresses. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a tunic. Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. 
the Lord God Almighty, on that day I punish Israel for her sins. I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter houses along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed. And the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. You may be seated. That's kind of frightening, isn't it? Why would God do such a thing? Why would God bring punishment among his people? Well, the interesting part about this, and it's very important that you and I begin to dwell upon it, is because when we look back to the prophet Amos, we're talking about God's judgment upon a people in a specific time and a place. And so the question then becomes, well, then why do we read Amos as Christians? We are under grace. We're saved by grace through faith. What does that have to do with us? Well, so were those people in Amos' day saved by grace through faith. You see, God had saved them from from slavery in Egypt and brought them into a land of promise. And so he chose them for a reason. Well, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Chose them for a reason. Well, here's some things that you and I should ponder as we are Christians under the new covenant of grace and looking back to that old covenant of the Old Testament because that covenant was a foretaste of the grace that you and I now partake in in Jesus Christ. We learned some things that are important, that God's people were chosen, but secondly, that God indicted against Israel these indictments that really reveal for us this overwhelming problem, and that is that there was a chosenness that God had given his people, but there was not an ownership that they took. In other words, they said, yes, we're the people of God, but they weren't living that way. And then God revealed a plan. God revealed a plan. Let's look at that first one, a chosen people. You and I are are chosen people. Did you know that? Did you know that you're chosen if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ? You have seen the weight of your sins, the inability that you have in delivering yourselves from the judgment of God for all the shameful things you've ever done in your life. And please, do not minimize that. The Bible says there's coming a day of judgment where every man and woman will give account for every word and thought spoken. There will be a great day of judgment where God will judge the world and he will sentence the world according to that judgment. And as we go back into the first and second chapter, you begin to unravel this truth about God and that he begins to judge not just Israel or Judah, but the nations of the world. Logan led us through how he was building a target with rings around the outer and then an inner ring and an inner ring. And that outer ring, God was judging the nations of the world. Now think of that. Today, the God who judged the nations of the world then is still going to judge the nations of the world today. And so when we see this world in its chaos, we see the dictatorships, we see the people who've been slaughtered in Russia and in Vietnam and other places, that God is going to bring judgment upon those individuals who cause such evil in the world. It's hard to imagine, but on that day of judgment, we will see Adolf Hitler stand before God. And you'll be there too. And all the sins of every person will be judged, not just nations, but individuals. And on that horrible day of judgment, 
God will send people to eternal punishment because of what they have done in this life. That's a hard reality, isn't it? But yet you walk around our nation today and we have lost this whole idea that there is going to be a day in which we will answer for our behavior. And the question the Bible asks in the Psalms is, who will be able to stand? Only the righteous can stand before God. Well, here's where the good news is. That knowing that truth that you were alienated from God because of your sin and you could do nothing to save yourself from God's wrath which you deserved, you heard of how God so loved you he sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross and there he paid the penalty of your sins on that cross for you so that when that day of judgment comes, as you turn from your sins and believe in Christ, you do not fear this day of judgment. Why? Because your sins have been judged already, and their payment has been paid in full. This is the glory of the gospel. This is the glory of the cross. And it's in that vein that God was calling the Israelites through Amos, back to a covenant where he had made a promise to them long ago that he would send one who would make an atonement for their sins. But until that day the one came, they were to faithfully turn to God, to worship God and confessing their sins before him. They would go to the temple, and as a sign of what God was going to do, they would bring animals and slaughter them on the the altars and sprinkle the blood everywhere because they realize without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness and as they shed the blood of these animals they would not think that they were forgiven because they they killed an animal and gave its blood over that didn't offer forgiveness it was their faith that God would one day make an atonement for them and he's done that through Jesus Christ This is why the glory of the gospel is so powerful. If you turn in your Bibles, if you turn in the Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes about this gloriously. He says in chapter 2 verse 4, Come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen, chosen by God as a precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, an offering offering spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ and then you go a little further in verse 9 and in chapter 2 of 1 Peter Peter then says to the Christians both Jew and Gentile but you you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are a holy nation a people belonging to God why why has God done this that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light you see it do you see the the gratitude that we have for what Christ has done is that we now have the great privilege of proclaiming that forgiveness is possible through Jesus Christ that we can tell the world there is hope 
in the midst of this horrible world that is filled with all kinds of evil, that there is a God who loves us, who gave himself for us, and through him he can rescue you from the judgment you will face. That was the message that the people of the Old Testament were given as well. But the most amazing thing is that somehow they got it messed up. What do I mean? Well, they were a chosen people. But if you look in verse 2, actually beginning with the latter part of verse 1, God says to them, I have chosen you of all the families of the earth. Why did God choose the Jews? Was it because they were such great architects and builders? <laughs> no. Egypt and the Babylonians were far superior. Was it because they were so wise? <laughs> Heavens no. The wisdom of the Greeks and the Romans far surpassed that. Why did God choose the Jews? Because he chose them. He chose them. The same question could be asked of us. Why did God choose me? Why did God choose you? Why did the gospel have fruit in your heart to bring faith in you? Because you're so wise. You're so smart. You're so pretty. You were born in America. Actually, that probably is more of a detriment today than a help. No, God, God revealed your need of Christ to you in such measure that you gave up any hope of being justified in his, lie, in his sight. You gave up the hope long ago that you're good enough, that you can accomplish what, what God requires of us. You gave that up long ago, didn't you? And now you have come to put your faith in the work of a man carpenter who died 2,000 years ago on a cross. The world says that's foolish. That's crazy. Paul writes, it's crazy to those who are perishing. But for those who have come to know the truth, it is the wisdom of God. How powerful, isn't it? But why did God chose? Why did God choose the Israelites? Why did God choose you? Because you're his possession. Because you belong now to him. When Cindy and I were dating, we we enjoyed dating. We had a really good time dating. But when the proposal came and said, "Let's get married," we were saying hey, we just don't want to live together. We were saying, we want to belong to one another. And in that vein, we entered into a marriage where we said, we forsake all others for you. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God did to the Israelites, what God did for you. He says, I want you to forsake every other God and worship me. 
It made the Israelites proud because God chose them. And it was a pride that was not based upon their faith. It was a pride based upon their opposition that they took for granted. Because of all the families of the earth, get this, all the families of the earth worshipped multiple gods. If you would go to the Greek culture, you would see the multiple gods like Zeus, remember? Remember the stories? Zeus on Olympia. If you would go further east into the Canaanite regions where Amos was now preaching, you would find that even among the Canaanites, they had their own gods by different names. There were multiple ones. You go even further toward the Orient, you would find even there, there were groups of people who had multiple gods. In a world filled with men and women who worshipped idols everywhere, God had called these people, the Israelites, to worship him, the one true God, and to make his name known among the face of the earth. Why? The Old Testament is a testament that there is one true God because he has preserved a people he called the Israelites even to this day. Even to this day. How do you know God is real? Because there are still Jews walking the face of the earth. Does that mean they're saved? No. They need Christ. And they need the gospel because it is a fulfillment of God's promise to them. And in that promise of being chosen, God says, not only do you belong to me, you are to live a life that represents me on the face of the earth. And there's the problem. Here's the indictment. What's the indictment? The Israelites had forgotten all of the grace of God. And they began to think of it as a right because they were Jewish. Some of you are like that today. You think because you're a member of this church that you have certain rights and privileges before God. You have no rights and privileges except what God grants you through cross, the cross of Christ. I remember growing up in the Presbyterian church I, I attended as a young boy. It was the Darlington Presbyterian Church. My grandmother, a staunch southern lady, let me tell you, a woman full of faith, but very staunch. The, the Howard pew was the, the fifth pew on the left side, and as you walked down that aisle, if anyone was in that pew, she let you know that was her pew. She's not there anymore. I wonder who's sitting there now. What was the problem? That somehow we take ownership of things that are not ours. They belong to God. You see, that's the problem with the Christian heart today is that we can assume things that we have because we are deserving of them. And we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve God answering our prayers. We don't deserve to sing to his name like we've done this morning. We don't deserve any of that. But God has chosen you. Why? That you will do those things because you now belong to him. And in belonging to him, 
You are to live out a life that is pleasing to God. That's why I love, love the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Longer Catechism. It teaches us about this faith, this passionate love that God has for me. And it tells me what's the chief end of my life. It is to glorify God and enjoy, enjoy God forever. Let me ask you, did you get up this morning and come to worship ready to enjoy God talking with the teenagers this morning as they came dragging in for Sunday school and they were like it's just too early really do you not realize why we're here kind of reminds me of the story of the woman who went in to wake wake up her son because he was going to be late for church remember do you know this story she goes in and she gets in out of bed and says honey it's time to get up and go to church and he said I'm not getting up she said, why? I'll give you three reasons why. I'm tired and I want to sleep in. She goes, okay. What's the second one? He said, and when I get up, I don't want to have to get dressed. I want to just lay around in my pajamas. And she said, okay. And what's the last reason? She said, when I go to church, I know those people don't like me and I don't like them. And she kind of looked back at him with a startling look on her eyes and said, well, honey, you're going to get up and go to church no matter what you feel because, and I'm going to give you three reasons why you should. First, you need to get out of that bed because if you stay in bed, you will waste your life the rest of the day. The second is, you know getting dressed means that you are preparing to do things to glorify God and honor him. And so you're not getting dressed to satisfy yourself. You're getting dressed to serve others. You need to get out of that bed and start thinking about other people. And she said, lastly, you need to get out of that bed and go to church because you're the pastor. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's true. Amos is a, is, a, is a prophet reminding us that we belong to God. And because we belong to God, God has this indictment against those Israelites. They had forgotten it. Here's what he says. He says to them pointedly in questions. These questions are very quite powerful. He gives them a testimony of the obvious. What do I mean by that? The testimony of the obvious. Look at this in, in verse 3. Do two do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? The Hebrew there is really quite amazing. When you think about it, walking, if you go and look through the Bible, it talks about your walk with the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You heard that before? When, when you look in Colossians and you read the first chapter, it talks about walking in a way that brings glory to Christ. And so it's not a foreign concept that Jesus uh, gives us as far as walking with him, nor is it a foreign concept for the people of Israel because they were called to walk with God. And the indictment is, you're not walking with the Lord. The second is, does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Notice the next one as well. Does it growl in its den when it's caught nothing? And the answer to all three of those questions is no. Notice the fifth verse. Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground where there's no bait? Does a, does a trap spring up from the ground if it has caught nothing? The answer, no. And then 
And here comes the real question that God wants them to face because of their walk with or lack of a walk with God. Verse 6, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Well, why, why, would, why would that question be given? Well, you'll remember back in Deuteronomy when the people of Israel were being saved from slavery and brought to the promised land and God was saying, you're going to be my chosen people. Through you, I am going to preserve my name upon the face of the earth and I'm going to put you right here in this particular place that connects Africa, Europe, and Asia. No one will be able to live in the world as you know it without crossing through this land, through the trade routes that would be made. And Israel was right dead center of it all. And God's name would be proclaimed by the Jews. And God told the Israelites, when I take you into this land, as you love and serve me and worship me and offer sacrifices for your sins, I will bless you. You will never have ever a problem of money because I will bestow gifts upon you in such measure that all the nations of the world will become jealous of you. Your crops will 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 be harvested with bounty your your women shall bear children your your whole life will be filled with blessing after blessing after blessing says the lord but the day you turn from me the day you turn your back and start worshiping other gods the other gods like the people you're going in to dispossess and kick out of the land the day you begin to copy them and follow after other gods, I will remove my blessing from you. And instead of holding back your enemies from your gates, I will let them walk in. Instead of letting your wells be filled with cisterns of fresh water, they will become dried up. Instead of your, your orchards being bountiful with fruit, they will be infested with bugs. When you hear the sound of trumpets from your enemies, you will tremble because you do not walk with me. When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? I want you to think of that. Caused it. As I have pondered this whole business of the pandemic, I've been wondering, where is God in all of this? Has he not been the Lord of all, the sovereign Lord? Dare we think that God has allowed this pandemic? For what purpose? I don't remember the year specifically, but I remember the month and date. It was called September the 11th. Do you remember that day? When people in the name of God drove two planes into the Twin Towers in New York. Do you know what happened the week and the month following that? 
churches throughout the city that were vacant and empty because no one worshipped God suddenly were filled to overflowing. And people were asking, why has this happened? And today, the churches have returned to their normal. Empty spaces. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When life goes the way we want it to, we become insular. We don't need God, we think. When in fact, we need God every day. And the moment we begin to think we don't need God or we can compromise or somehow worship other things besides God, then we endanger the very foundation of our lives. Why? Because God did not create you to worship idols. He created you to worship Him. God created you to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. The problem is I don't want to. There's something within my heart that wants me to be God and to tell God take a walk I'd like to live life the way I want to and while doing that just like the Israelites I do not reap blessings from heaven I actually bring curses upon myself look at our nation today do you would you say that we're blessed I'm not sure we can say that anymore. And, and I think part of it is because we don't know who we are anymore. Why don't we know who we are? Because we have lost who God is. And without knowing who God is, how can I know who I am, who, who was created by God? Why is this so important? Well, it's important for us as Christians because of this one thing. If the testimony is obvious that the Israelites had turned away from the Lord because they had turned away from the Lord, they were endangering their lives. Here's another testimony, and it's verse 8. God promises. He says to them, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? What, it was beautifully pointed out in the previous sermons that when the lion roars, that God is shouting, warning. When a lion goes out and catches its prey, it roars. Why? To tell every other thing around it, this is my meal. When the lion is in the den and has brought in the, the, the food, it roars. Why? It's to set his territory. This is my belonging. And God is roaring. He is roaring out saying, these are my people who will not worship me, who do not love me. These people who I have chosen don't love me or care for me anymore. And so what's to be done? Well, it's in verse 8. The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who, how does he speak? He, he speaks through his prophets. He sends Amos. Amos, tell them. Tell them what is happening so that they can turn and repent. No, no. Amos, tell them 
so that they would recognize the sin of their lives, that they could return to me and be healed. No, no. Go and let them understand how they are killing themselves because of their idolatry, because of the things they love more than me. How do we know this? Look at verse 9. He says, here's your proof of what I'm saying. Go to Ashdod. Ashdod was a city on the coast. It belonged to a, a different country. It was the capital. And he says, go and find those unbelievers in Ashdod and those unbelievers in Egypt who don't believe in the one true God and tell them, let them come and be witnesses. Let them stand on the hill overlooking Samaria's capital. Let them see this tremendous fortress that God has allowed the people to be built that will be destroyed. This impregnable city. Let these people who don't believe in God come and stand and watch what the Lord is going to do. He is going to bring his judgment upon his people in such manner that even those who don't believe in God will go, my goodness, they must have done something really bad because their God has given them over. You see, in that day, the people prayed to their gods for victory over their enemies. Now, the Samaritans are going to be giving testimony to God who now gives the Samaritans, the Jews, the Israelites over to their enemies because of their sins. The Egyptians would just stand there with a gasp. Wow. What is this God doing? What is his plans for these people? They, they better find another God. He's not giving them victory. Haven't you ever thought that for yourself? Maybe God isn't working the way you anticipated in your life, and so you begin to think, well, maybe I should find other gods. Haven't you been tempted down that road? The most amazing thing is that goes on and says very distinctly to them, here's the conclusion in verses 10 and 11, that God has decided on what he will do to redeem his people. Notice verse 10. They do not know how to do what's right. There's the judgment. Do you? The word there is not just that we know in our, heart, our heads what's right. It's that we know in our hearts and want to do what is right. Do, do you? Has Christ so permeated your heart and your life that you... If by chance you fall into a sin, you know that your life would be filled with guilt and remorse. That you can't live that way. Is that in your heart? Because apparently it wasn't in the Israelites' heart anymore. They had imbibed in their sins for so long that they had become callous to God. You see that in marriages. You see it all the time in relationships where people, where people who live together and love one another and suddenly something happens along the way and they become callous toward each other. Some of the most, some of the most vicious emotional attacks can be in a marriage. Do you know why? Because they have calloused themselves to the other. They no longer care to love the other person. 
God says in verse 10, it's because you have not known what is right. In other words, instead of loving doing what is right, you have loved doing what is wrong. And because you've loved that, it's become your God and it has enveloped your whole life. It has changed you to be not a godly person. It has changed you to being like all the other nations that worship these idols. You are no different from the unbelievers. There's no distinction. You're seeing that in the church today, aren't you? I was listening and reading a report of what's happening in the church in Europe, and it's frightening because no one is attending church anymore. There's a very small remnant of Christians attending church in Europe today, and we're seeing the whole nation buy into this idea that the government is now the final authority of life. And in that purchase of their souls for the government, they are literally locking people up for not wearing face masks. Do you, do you hear this? In Canada, just north of us, a pastor is being arrested, arrested and thrown in jail for holding a worship service. Why? Because the state has become the final That's exactly what idolatry does. Because God is a God who brings freedom. When we have no freedom in God, then we must litigate and make laws and control and have some overriding authority to make people do what they must do. And the whole nation was being plundered. People were getting rich, filthy rich by gouging people. <coughs> I'd like to talk more about the economy today because there are a lot of people getting rich off of what's happening right now. Is it right? Well, you decide. You're, you're an intelligent person. What, what will God do? I mean, it, it, it's gotten so bad. What can God do? What, what can God do? Here's the most amazing thing. He says he will do something to save them. He will rescue them. Verse 12, notice this, that this is what the Lord says as a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so the Israelites living in Samaria will be rescued. How? With only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric for a couch. The imagery is quite powerful, isn't it? How is God going to save these people? He is going to save a remnant. He is going to choose to save a remnant of these people who still are in the land, who will go through this overwhelming judgment, and the judgment itself is their salvation. 
The judgment itself, the punishment, is the way in which they can be redeemed. But not everyone, a few, a remnant will be redeemed. And then in verse 13, he says, Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. The Lord God Almighty. What does he say? On the day I will punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off. What does that mean? In Bethel, they worship God there instead of in Jerusalem. And in that Bethel worship, they worshiped with an intention to worship God. They had a golden calf that was used in Baal worship that was part of the old Canaanite culture. And they mixed those two in such measure that they believed if they ran to that altar and put their hands on the horns of the altar, which were the corners, that God would listen to them and give them what they wanted. And God says, no, it's too late. Your sins are too great. I'm cutting off the horns. You will not be able to come and make some plea like this anymore. Why? Because the punishment is their rescue. The punishment is their rescue. Well, what does that mean? It means that through that punishment, they are going to find redemption. And he says, on that day, I will take the horns off. And then verse 25, I will tear down the winter houses, the houses you have built out of great luxury because of the immoral life that you've lived, the ways in which you have grown rich and fat by taking advantage of the poor. I am going to completely eviscerate your homes. So that what you have stored up for yourself, your enemies will carry away. Because you don't use it for my glory. You use it for your own selfish gains. You say, well, wait a minute, Robert. I don't understand. How is God going to save them? Because it is through the punishment of sin that God brings his people to their knees. they begin to humble themselves and they begin to pray and God says through the prophet Isaiah if you will do that and turn from your wicked ways I will then heal your land you know the glorious news about your being chosen is that there came a point where you knew the punishment of your sin you knew the judgment you were yet to face. And you knew the depth of your sin in such greatness that you trembled. And when you heard the gospel, Jesus took the punishment you deserved and bore it on the tree. For what purpose? So that you may walk before God blameless. Do you know what it says there in Colossians? That God through Jesus Christ now declares you to be blameless because of your faith in Christ. And that you are turning away from sin. Now here's the question. And here's the slippery part. What if I want to believe in Jesus, but I still want to live in sin? Right? Hello, Amos. This is why Amos was called. Unless you and I are serious about turning from sin, 
we're not walking with God. We're really not. Cindy and I go out in the evenings. We take Gus. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Gus is my supreme perfect dog. And we take our dog out walking in the neighborhood. And Gus has his own way of walking. It's called getting ahead and staying ahead and pulling anyone who has a leash ahead. So that there are times when it's very difficult for us to walk. Because if Cindy is holding his leash, she's halfway down the block before I even get there. And if I'm holding the leash, I'm being dragged in this asphalt with my face rubbing against it because I'm trying to hold the dog as he's just going down the road. So in, in that scenario, we, we're not walking together. And finally, finally it began to dawn on us that we were letting Gus decide how we should walk. So what we did was we began to pull his leash in and say, Slow down. The leash was not only our salvation, it was Gus's salvation. And as he was reined in, he began to realize he enjoyed the walk even more. Where are you this morning in your walk with Christ? Honestly. Do you not think the Lord of glory loves you? He is jealous for your affections. He desires that you walk with him. Be careful. It is really possible for someone who names the name of Christ to go down a path of sin that will lead you away from the Lord of glory. And you will begin to justify every wrong step and still try to retain the name Christian. And you will have one of the worst diagnoses of religion the Bible ever talks about. You will have a form of religion but deny the power of Christ. You cannot save yourself from the temptations you face this week. You can't. But he can. Jesus, he can save you. We're going to worship God in the giving of the sacrament that reminds us you belong to God. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we pray that we would.